Um, have your Bibles handy. I don't particularly have a passage of Scripture again for you to go to today, as will be uh, semi-topical, rather topical, finishing up our teaching in the family series this week. Have been in this series since Mother's Day. Every other year, uh, I've been teaching a family emphasis series from Mother's Day to Father's Day. Great time to be focused on the family. <clears throat> and this morning we're going to speak on discipline. And we do so as, a, as an extension of the biblical example which has been set for us. An example which God the Father himself has set. And as we consider today being Father's Day, it is the example of God our Father that we carry over into how we as fathers and parents ought to discipline our children. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, scriptures say, oh, yep, there we go, okay, now I'm, now, I'm, now I'm with myself. The scriptures say this, oh, no, wait, no, not yet. I'm sorry, I was, I was one page ahead on my notes here. Uh, we'll, we'll get to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 in just a minute. Several weeks ago, however, I preached a message, and if you recall, it was entitled Raising Godly Children. And in that message on raising godly children, I gave you four points. These four points that you see here. Point number one, teach truth. Point number two, correct what is wrong. Point number three, keep communication open. And point number four, be the example. And that message is online. If you weren't able to hear it, you can certainly uh, grab that on LegacyBaptistChurch.net or on YouTube. Uh, it's up in both places. But I told you when we got to that second point, correct what is wrong, that I was going to effectively skip it and come back to it on another t time. Well, well, today is that time. Today is the day where we come back to correcting what is wrong. It's our opportunity to expand upon raising godly children by fostering biblical methods of proper discipline. And I teach this message in light of what I said that evening. It was in the evening service that I did that. Uh, the absolute most important thing you can do in raising godly children is to consistently and sincerely teach them the truth. Teach them positive aspects of doctrine. Teach them the truth. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You want your children to understand what God expects of them. You want to be able to trust the Holy Spirit to do the work in them. Give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Teach your children truth. But as I mentioned in that sermon, and even as we th talked about somewhat in Sunday school this morning, uh, teaching our children truth uh, will likely be not enough. See, I can feed and I can water and I can mow my yard, but if I don't pull out the weeds, the weeds will uh, eventually overpower the grass in the yard. And, and even with all of the feeding and the watering and the mowing, if I don't take care of the weeds, the weeds are going to grow and it's going to reduce the strength of that which I want. Whether it's flowers, whether it's uh, grass, whether it's uh, vegetables, whatever it might be, you've got to weed. You can't yeah, pull out the weeds. You can't just positively feed your yard. Regardless of how much positive truth you put into your children, parents, if you don't correct wrong behavior, those weeds, those errors in thinking, are going to grow and could very well undermine your efforts to give them that positive truth. 
So as I was mentioning at the beginning, uh, which wasn't the beginning, but now is part of the beginning, um, we're going to speak on discipline, and we're going to use God the Father as an example, because Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 tells us this. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Here's King Solomon exhorting his son not to despise the chastening hand of the Lord. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke of the difference between chastening and punishment. And as I distinguish the two, I do so this way, that chastening is intended to correct a wrong attitude which compels a wrong action. It's intended to foster in the heart of a person repentance. Punishment is, is the natural consequence for the wrong itself, for the action itself. And the word chastening in, in this context in the Hebrew there literally means to reprove, reproof, or restraint. It speaks of God taking action to change the heart and thus the action of one of his children. Chastening is a form of discipline that is intended to foster a repentant heart. And we define repentance at Legacy Baptist Church as a, uh, a change of mind that brings about a change of heart. It's when our hearts genuinely align with the expectations placed upon us so that there's no conflict between our heart and our responsibilities. Chastening is an effort to bring a person's heart in line with the expectations that have been placed upon him. Now, punishment, on the other hand, is a form of discipline that is intended to right a wrong. It's intended as well to discourage future offense. The goal of punishment is to establish justice, to place in a person's path sufficient consequences so that they will think twice about doing an offense again. Now, sometimes the same act of discipline can function for both chastening and punishment. And sometimes chastening and punishment are distinct. If you consider your own children and perhaps some of the differences between your children, this uh, might begin to, to come into uh, a, a bit of a, a clearer frame of reference. There are some children uh, that form repentance very easily. We, we oftentimes call them children with tender hearts or tender spirits. Uh, they, they only need the slightest of rebuke in order to, to develop a repentant heart. They perhaps have a very keen sense of, of justice. They have a keen sense of right and wrong. And so when you rebuke them, there's immediate, you can see it. You can see immediate repentance. They know they've done wrong. They hate having to be rebuked. They know they've, they, they've, they've, they've um, put, there's something between them and, and dad or them and mom, and they hate that, and they immediately want that right. In these children, uh, you may not have to put a whole lot of effort into bringing about in their hearts repentance, into working a repentant heart into them, because they, they, they find that very quickly. They find that very easily. And so you may just have to give them the consequences of, of their wrong decisions when uh, they need to be disciplined. There are others, though. And maybe you've had one of those children, maybe you haven't. There are other children who a repentant heart does not come quite as easily to them. These children have a, a bit more of a natural pragmatism to them, we might say. Uh, they're not naturally prone to a repentant heart. They did what they did, and they did it, calcu you know, they, they, they calculated, okay, if I do this, and, and I'm going to get this punishment if I get caught, but, but maybe I won't get caught, and I, I can handle that punishment, and, and maybe I won't get caught, and so I'll just, I'll just risk it, right? 
and, and they, they're calculating, they, they know what they're doing, and when you, when you discipline them, you, you, it's almost like they were ready for it. Like they were, they, okay, I'm paying my dues, and let's just move on. And, and you see nothing in them that says, I, I don't intend to do this again. Uh, you see nothing in them that, that, that shows any sort of repentant heart. Even if they're afraid of the punishment, have you ever had that where, where you, you've, you've disciplined your child and as they walk away you say, I just really don't think that one took. I just really don't think... You, you, did, what, you did what you were supposed to do. They, they, they got disciplined. You were faithful and yet they walked away from that and I don't know if that discipline really did what I wanted it to do. They walk away smiling saying, okay, See you, see you next time type attitude. And, and mm, okay, it didn't quite make it. Well, you, you discipline, you punished, but you didn't actually find repentance. You, you, you didn't get them to the place. They, they, they aren't at the place of repentance. In these children, we have to put some extra effort into reaching them, to reaching their heart. See, discipline is a heart, is a, it's about the heart. We can discipline actions out of our children and into our children, but if we don't reach their hearts, then what are we doing? And so with those children, we have to, get, we have to be a little bit more calculated in order to reach their hearts. Beyond just giving them the consequence of their action, we must patiently and persistently seek to draw their hearts into an understanding of the wrong that they've done and understanding that it is wrong and a heart alignment with what is right. Now, in Proverbs 3, we find King Solomon calling us not to despise the Lord's chastening, to not despise God's efforts to bring our heart into alignment with his own. When we receive chastening for our wrongs, we know it is done in order to bring us to a place of repentance. It is done with our best interests in mind. In fact, the text tells us what? Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Chastening is an evidence of love. It's not an evidence of anger. It's not an evidence of hatred. It's not an evidence of rejection. It's an evidence of love. And then we find this important phrase, one which sets the tone for you fathers and us as parents. Even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. The inspired word of God tells us that a father who delights in his child, who loves his child, who wants what's best for his child, who deeply cares for his child, will discipline his child. And this reality is intended to give us a context within which we understand the chastening of God. We understand the chastening of God in the same way we understand the chastening of our father. It helps us relate to God's chastening when we can say, oh, just as my father loved me enough to discipline me, God loves me enough to discipline me. And this is an un, kind of a, an unfortunate thing today. You know how we've talked about this? We talked about this with, with the marriage relationship, that marriage is intended to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. And so as we see so many broken homes today, as we see so many children growing up without a functional mother-father relationship, without functional marriages above them, it is putting them at a natural disadvantage to understanding Christ and his church. 
because they can't relate to it the way God has designed. It's the same thing with the, the husband-wife relationship. Uh, or uh, Excuse me, with the husband-wife relationship, it's the same thing with the father relationship. That we are intended to understand how God deals with us by a biblical example of our fathers, by how they love us, but also how they chasten us. And so the scriptures are intending that a person would understand a little bit better the character of God simply by understanding how their father has dealt with them properly. And as our children grow up without father figures today in the same manner, they are put at a greater disadvantage to understanding the character of God because they've never seen it in their fathers. They've never seen it in their, in, in their parents. In Hebrews... This concept of God's chastening is magnified. It's heightened, as Paul teaches. And he uses Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 as kind of the baseline to go off of as he then teaches a, a greater concept. And the verse I want to point you to in Hebrews, it's in Hebrews chapter 12, is actually the very end of Paul's teaching on this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, we read this. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Chastening is a means to an end. Chastening is an action with long-term goals in mind. Chastening is not pleasant in its action, but it's wonderful in its results. Taking the steps necessary to call a child out of their rebellious heart. And notice I say heart. The actions are one thing, but there's a heart beneath it. Ca taking the time to call your child out of his rebellious heart is a difficult thing. But when the chastening has taken effect, it brings about the positive results which cannot be produced in any other way. Those who are trained in, in such a way as to align their hearts with the principles of obedience to God exchange that short-term grief for long-term joy. And it's an investment which every parent who loves their child ought to be completely devoted to. Any parent who refuses to discipline his child is a parent who is putting their children at risk. Putting their children at risk of not learning the lessons necessary to have a right relationship with God as they grow older. But not only that, but we'll find today that by, by failing to chasten our children, we are indeed disobeying God. So how is it that a parent is called to discipline his children? We'll read many verses this morning, most from the book of Proverbs. But we begin in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. And the Bible tells us this. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth, loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Several elements are important to understand about discipline that are found in this verse. The first uh, is the general form of discipline, which the Bible illustrates through the concept of the rod. Now, throughout the Bible, the, the concept of the rod is used both literally and figuratively to speak of appropriate discipline. Figuratively, we see it all over. As a matter of fact, we considered it just before we started the family series. In 2 Samuel 7, in our evening series, we considered the rod as God spoke to David, promised David uh, the perpetual kingdom. God told David in, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, I will be speaking of David's posterity, his child. 
I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. So the rod of men, that being uh, the natural consequences of his actions, it's not that God would actually take a rod and, and his hand would fly out of heaven and, and, and hit David's son, but that, that there would be a natural and appropriate consequence for the, the inappropriate, the sinful actions of David's son, uh, if he were to commit iniquity, if he were to wander from God's statutes. We also see a more general and figurative use uh, of the word rod in Proverbs 10, verse 13. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. And so this is, uh, can be literal, for indeed there, there probably were circumstances uh, in the life of man who was void of understanding where there would actually be a rod taken to his back, which would be a form of discipline, of course, where, where you are hit on your back um, and, and receive the stripes. That would be the, 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 the welts from being smacked on the back, or perhaps even if, if the skin were to break, um, the, the cuts from being hit on the back. And yet there's a figurative element to this as well. That simply put, we need to understand that when we forsake wisdom, there are consequences. And whether or not it's figurative or literal, uh, the, the consequences, it's, it's, it's discipline, it's consequences, it's chastening, it is a rod, effectively. An example of what is appropriate Contrasted with those that have submitted themselves to wisdom. And so we find uh, in, in these verses this concept of the rod, sparing the rod, understanding um, the rod. In Pro back in Proverbs 13, 24, I, I mention this for two reasons. First, it highlights the very real understanding that by using the term rod, Solomon was not necessarily establishing the exact instrument of chastening here, but rather using the rod as an illustration of the fact that discipline is essential for the child. But secondly, it is important to emphasize that the Bible does exhort parents unto disciplining their children, and, and there's no question that, that physical discipline, corporate discipline, is a medium, a primary medium through which this is intended to take place. Now, we haven't seen that yet through the generalizations that have come already. But as we continue walking through verses in the Proverbs, we will find this, that there is a, an expectation, that there is an effect that physical corporate discipline brings to our children, and, and it's a very positive effect. To secure this understanding, I give you several more verses. In Proverbs 22:15, we, we find this, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The word foolishness here speaks of that which is uh, without use, that which is improper, that which is, with, uh, is out of place. Now, we, we all recognize this, that our children tend to do that which is frivolous, tend to do that which is out of place, tend to do that which is improper. And that's just natural. It's natural that that would be in the heart of a child. It's not wrong for it to be there, but it's wrong if it stays. It's not a problem to have foolishness in the heart of a child, but it is a problem if that foolishness remains in him. Children that have foolishness bound in their hearts need it to be driven from them. Consider with me as well Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Without, well, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, 
and shalt deliver his soul from death. Now, this is perhaps the clearest verse to remind us that the rod of correction is not just used figuratively in the scriptures, but is in fact expected to be a form of chastening, uh, of physical chastening. Now, this verse makes us uncomfortable, these two verses, because of the word beat in there. And because of that word beat, there's this natural understanding. Well, when we talk about beating a child today, obviously we're talking about abuse. We're talking about that which goes beyond sound discipline. We know that that's not what the scriptures are saying here. It's not saying that you are to abuse your child. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, um, that there is an appropriate manner of discipline that you must, parents, you must find if you're going to discipline properly. Correction speaks of physical discipline. And if you appropriately physically discipline your child, the scriptures say it won't kill them, and much rather, by physically disciplining them, the parents will drive from their children that foolishness and deliver them, says deliver their soul from hell. We'll talk about this a little bit more, what this means, finding that balance, making sure that we are disciplining properly in, in a little bit. Proverbs 29, 15, we read this, and I know we're jumping through a lot of scripture today um, and that you're not able necessarily to follow along in your Bible. Uh, I apologize for that, but uh, there's a lot to cover today. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Here we find the rod and reproof, discipline, of a physical and verbal nature. How do we know that the rod spoken of in Scripture is not just reproof? Well, because here it says the rod and reproof give wisdom. A physical discipline and a verbal discipline. And this is contrasted with a warning that the child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. If you recall on Mother's Day, we preached that message about mothers being redeemed if their children walk in uh, honesty and, and godliness. Well, the child that, that is not reproved, the scriptures say, bring his mother to shame. That there is a, a natural, shameful lack of virtue, a lack of worth that will be grown in children who are not reproved. And uh, this society is living proof of that, right? We talk about foolishness being bound in the heart of a child, but it needs to be driven from him. What are they saying now? You shouldn't really consider a person an adult until they hit 30 years old. That's, that's kind of the newest advice, that at 30, children should be transitioning to adulthood. Are you kidding me? 30 years old. That's because the foolishness is not being driven from children. And because foolishness is not being driven from children, they are, they are becoming ashamed to the previous generation. We need to drive that foolishness away, and it is our responsibility to do so through the rod of correction. An uncorrected child never stops acting like a child. They may grow up. They may get tall. They may learn how to drive. They may be able to vote, but that doesn't mean they're an adult. It doesn't mean they're an adult. Back to Proverbs 13, 24. We consider, firstly, that as the Bible speaks of the rod, there's an element of 
generalized discipline, but there's enough verses and enough uh, specificity for us to understand quite clearly that the Bible does encourage a form of physical discipline of our children, not just verbal reproof. And physical discipline, what, what you know, has, has been termed today quite often as spanking. Uh, physical discipline done properly is not an abusive act. It does no damage to the child, either emotionally or physically. And let me make that, that clear. It's not just people say, well, yeah, you're not uh, physically uh, doing any long-term damage, but emotionally. It, it, done properly, there's no emotional or physical damage. And, and, and please, parents... There, will, there are some under the sound of my voice whose parents did not discipline you properly, whose parents took out their anger on you. I'm not justifying that in any way. I'm not justifying child abuse in any way. If your parents took out their anger on you physically because they were angry at what you did, that's, that's not biblical. It's not right. It's not what the Bible says. And here's my caution. Don't impose a poor example, even if they were doing it in the name of God. Right? If you, if you beat your child, he will not die, so they, so, they, so they beat you mercilessly. Even if they did it in the name of God, don't impose a wrong example. On, don't, don't make it God's fault. Because it's not God's fault that your parents did it wrong. It's not God's fault that they, they were taught wrong. And don't, don't run away from what God says is right out of fear for what you experienced that was wrong. We, we, we do this. And it's not just in discipline. We do this in doctrine. I call it the pendulum swing, right? We, we, we see a doctrine and, and we, we, we're, we see it, it be damaging because there was a, a, an element of error to it. And so we swing all the way to the other end and there's just as much error there, but at least we're fighting against that. And, and we tend to pendulum swing in our lives. It's an emotional response to what we deem was wrong. And, and at the end of the day, we, we, if we're not careful, we blame God for those wrongs. We, we blame God for what other people did to us, thinking that because they did it in the name of God, somehow they were actually representing God. Th th this is God. And God is a God of balance. And when done properly, discipline is very much that way. It's balanced. It's appropriate. It's right. So just don't... Well, what I'm asking, parents, is that if, if you don't agree with me yet, please don't check out on me. Hear me out on this. Hear what the Word of God has to say. See the biblical teaching. And then, you know, you, you're always free to disagree with me because this is what we... This is what we hold to, right? It's not, it's not about me. Take or leave what I have to say. We, we, we just want the word of God to be preeminent. So the text tells us that the father who spares the rod, who spa and, I'm, and I'm not perfect, right? I don't get everything right. So the father who spares the rod, who spares his child from discipline, is a father who hates his son. The word hate in the Bible does not necessarily always speak of emotional hatred, right? It's not that the father lays awake at night wondering how he can make his child miserable the next day if he, if, if he spares the rod, right? It's not that he emotionally has some hatred in his heart. Many a, many a parent will say, I love my child too much to discipline them, right? So we know that it's not hatred in the form of emotional hatred, but what it is is that it's, it's, it's 
that word to place lower in value or favor. That's what hate means in the Bible. To place lower or value in favor. You are devaluing your children if you don't correct them, if you don't discipline them. You are placing them lower. It's a selfish act not to discipline your children. And it's selfish because, you know, discipline is not a fun thing, is it? Parents, it's not fun to just, you don't, you don't ever walk into the discipline room if you've got one of those or grab the discipline stick if you've got one of those or, or whatever it might be. And you don't go into that room smiling. And it's not just because you're angry. Have you ever just had a great day? And your children, you're, you, you've all had such a great day. And then like at the end of the day, your children are tired or whatever it might be. And they just get obstinate all of a sudden. And you sit there and you say, man, we're all so happy. They're happy. I'm happy. Why? Why can't you just do what's right? Because now we have to discipline. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to. It's not a happy thing. It's not a joyous thing. It's not, it's not something you're delighting in. But you, you need to because you love your child. The second half of this verse gives us another consideration about discipline. He that loveth him, that being his son, chasteneth him betimes. Betimes is a word that we don't use a whole lot anymore. It's an older English word that's fallen out of use in our language, but it's, it's a very good word to reflect what the original language has to say. And the word betimes literally means in due season or, or soon. It's the idea that a parent who loves his child will discipline him soon, quickly, early, in due season. Discipline him while it's not too late. Discipline him at the appointed time and at the appointed season of life. And that's two different things. Disciplining him at the right moment in time when it needs to be done, but then disciplining him while the season of life is there for discipline. You know, there's going to be a time where it's too late. Where your children are too old for you to be able to effectively discipline them anymore. Where they're beyond the age where that discipline will work properly, will, will do what it, it would have otherwise done. There is a time limit on that. And once they get past that time limit, the, the, the tran you have to trust the transition from your discipline to God's discipline. And your discipline to society's discipline. And you... Parents, you want, you want to reach the hearts of your children while it's still, while, while you've still got their hearts. While there's still time. And that's what this is saying. He that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes, in due season, soon, in the right season. Now, in Jewish culture, the transition from childhood to adulthood typically happened. 12 to 14. And so in, in the Proverbs, that would have been probably the implication here, at least in part, that before your ch child be, transitions into adulthood, when, before they start getting these responsibilities, but before those things, that, that's, that's when you need to reach your children. The idea is that there's an age of accountability and responsibility, and it, you, you ought to have the foolishness driven away from your children before they hit that age. A wise father reaches his children while they are still positioned in heart and in mind to be influenced in the right direction. Because there's coming a day where that influence will be reduced. 
On the contrary, the indulgent parent is setting his child up for spiritual danger. Proverbs 19.18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Parents, it is not fun to see your children cry. It is not fun to see their displeasure. But the Bible exhorts you not to do what is most expedient for the time for you, but what is best for your child. And, and we all know that what is best for our child is not always what our child wants, right? You want to give your children a healthy meal. Your children don't want vegetables for their meal, but you give them, maybe some of them do, strange kids, but, but maybe some of them want those vegetables, but most of them won't, but you give them to them anyway, and you say, no, you can't eat that delicious piece of bread until you eat those vegetables you don't want because you need to make sure they get the vegetables into them. No, you can't get down from the table until, you can get down from the table without having eaten the delicious part, but not have, you, but you got to eat those vegetables because it's what's best for them. You give your child a, a, a coat when they go out in the house in the fall. They don't want the coat. And if it was up to them, they'd be in flip-flops, shorts, and a t-shirt. But you say, no, put some warm clothes on. It's cold out there. Not because it's what your child wants, but it's because it's what your child needs. You discipline your child when they do wrongly, not because it's what they want, but it's because you know it's what's best for them. Proverbs 27, 29, 17. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Chastening is an action, as we mentioned already, an action for today with an eye for tomorrow. Temporary grief with long-term joy in mind. It's difficult when they are young. But you allow the difficulty when they are young so that the rest of their lives can be filled with delight. Not just to their soul, but to your soul. You discipline them today so that you don't have to be ashamed of them tomorrow. When they can't hold a job because they don't understand authority, when they have no sense of propriety and decency and find themselves on the wrong side of conflicts with authority because they weren't disciplined when they were younger. You discipline them now. You discipline them today so that you don't have to bail them out of problems tomorrow. You discipline them today so that they are positioned to be successful tomorrow. But there is one concept which is very important that will lead right into our points of application today. You discipline your child when they're young for all of these reasons that we've talked about, for, with, with an eye toward tomorrow. But you know what else? You discipline your children so that they are positioned to respond to God's discipline when they begin to understand the laws by which he governs and the discipline which he meets out. Do you realize, parents, that by training your children to respond to authority, you're not just training them to respond to the police officer. You're not just training them to respond to teachers and to bosses and to you and to grandparents. You are training them how to respond to the authority of God. You are helping them understand how to submit themselves to God by teaching them how to submit themselves to you. And so as we step into our application this morning. Our first point of application is going to be this. Discipline is love. And I've said this, but let's just, let's just state it. Discipline is love. It is an act of love in every context. First, it is an act of love toward your child. True biblical discipline is not an outworking of anger. We'll get back to that. True biblical discipline is not an outworking of 
domination. True biblical discipline is not an outworking of authority. You don't discipline because you're big, they're small. You don't discipline because, because you are, are here and they are there. It's not because I'm strong and you're weak. Angry, dominant, authoritative discipline is it's inappropriate. It is an outworking of the flesh. It's not an outworking of the Spirit of God. True discipline is motivated by love and is therefore driven by a vision for the future. It goes no farther than is necessary and it doesn't stop short of where it needs to go. It's driven by compassion, by a desire to help our children grow. It's not driven by a desire to hurt our children or dominate our children or cause our children to conform or fear us. We park today on Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. It is love to correct your children's errors. And this isn't always what you want to do. In fact, most of the time, disciplining your child is more work, greater effort. You have to go out of your way to do it. It's inconvenient. It's unpleasant. You don't want it. Children, your parents don't want to discipline you. Your parents do not sit up at night giggling over how they're going to get you next. They're not thinking of all the landmines they can put and all of the little uh, footnotes and clauses and, and, and all of the things that they can, any way that they can, that they can take what they have ex said that they expect you to do and twist it to get you to fall and to fail so that they can discipline you. That's not your parents. They're not doing that. They don't want to, but it's what's best for you. Parents, your child is a child. He's foolish. He's immature. He's ignorant. And he needs you to help him grow up. He needs you to help rid him of the foolishness and the immaturity and the ignorance so that he can be positioned for a life not just of physical success but of spiritual success. And God's prescription to make this come about is discipline the rod of correction. To withhold correction from your child is the least loving thing that you can do for them. So much so that God gives the example of his loving discipline in Hebrews 12, and as he does so, he says quite distinctly that if you do not experience chastening for, for sin from God, God says in Hebrews 12, if, if you are sinning with an unrepentant heart and no view toward correction and and you don't experience the chastening hand of the Lord, you are not his child. You are not his child. You are not a believer if you are not chastened when you are in unrepentant sin. That's how important chastening is to God. He will not fail. He will not fail to do it to any child because he loves them. Discipline is love. Secondly, though, in this context, discipline is an act of love toward God. And let's not forget this. Husbands, as I talk to you about loving your wife and winning your wife, I said it's not so much, it, yes, it's all this stuff about your wife, and your wife is important, and it is about your wife, but at the same time, it's not just about your wife. It is about God. If you love God, you'll do this for your wife. Same thing to wives. Wives, submission and winning your husband. It is not just about you being submissive. It is not just about you doing that for him. If you love God, you will do this. It's simple obedience. Do it because God says so. Parents, if, if you can conjure up no other reason to, to discipline your children, if, if, you, if, if, you, if you can't 
foresee the day that they're in trouble with society or they're in trouble with their boss or they're in trouble with, with, with God themselves. If you can conjure up no other reason to discipline your children, that, that, then do it because you love God. Do it because it's what he tells you to do. Do it because it's obedience. Your child needs you to pull him out of foolishness, to pull him out of immaturity, to pull him out of ignorance so that he can be positioned for that life of success. As with everything in the context of marriage and family, at the end of the day, however, it's not about you. It's about God. We talked last week to our young people, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love God, parents, you'll obey him. And if you're obeying God, then you're disciplining your children. With this in mind, I need to give you three important principles. I'm going to give them to you all at one time and talk about all three at the same time. Three important principles of discipline which make it appropriate and effective. The appropriate is so that we're not abusing our children. The effective is so that we're coming to the proper end. Three principles I'm going to give you, they're deeply interrelated, and they're these. Parents, discipline with clarity, discipline with consistency, and discipline with calmness. I alliterated it there. I think this might be the first alliterated message in like four and a half years. It's been a long time since I alliterated anything. But they're alliterated there, so maybe that'll help you uh, understand it or, or, or catch it a little bit more. Discipline with clarity, discipline with consistency, discipline with calmness. And as we do this, I'd like to revisit a verse that we talked about three weeks ago in our evening service. And we'll, these points will be back up, so if you, don't, if you didn't get them all, um, they'll be back up in a moment. Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents are not called upon to provoke their children. As a matter of fact, parents are called upon to not provoke their children to wrath. Provoking your children to wrath can encompass numerous actions, but one of the most frustrating areas of life for a child can be discipline. And it can be about these elements of clarity, consistency, and calmness. In any avenue of life, discipline is better understood and obedience is much easier when the expectations upon a person are clearly defined, consistently enforced, and calmly delivered. We all understand this in several contexts, but uh, the difficulty is translating them over into parenting. Imagine you open a book of laws and regulations regarding driving. You begin to read all of those expectations, right? We've had some young people here that are going through driver's ed, just went through driver's ed, and you're reading all of those expectations for driver's ed, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, all the laws that are on the books. You're told you shouldn't drive. Now, now, now imagine that as you're reading here, you find extremely vague and loosely defined laws. Like you're reading and it says, don't drive too fast on local roads. Well, what's too fast, right? I, I don't know what too fast is. What's too, what's too fast? Drive carefully. Well, what's carefully mean? I don't know what... What's careful to you? What's careful to me? What's the police officer going to think careful is? So you get pulled over, and the police officer says, you weren't driving carefully. Well, officer, can you define driving carefully? Well, it's just not what you were doing. That would be extremely frustrating, wouldn't it? 
If the law simply said, don't drive too fast, drive carefully, you can't defend yourself if you don't know your offense. And you can't know your boundaries if you haven't been given proper boundaries. If, if you've been given vague boundaries, then you, you don't know what your boundaries are. And not only that, but your boundaries will change, right? If that officer thinks you're driving too fast, but this officer doesn't, then if you're driving by this officer, you're okay. If you're driving by that officer, you're not. Parents, if you're not properly defining your expectations, how can you expect your children to live up to them without frustration? If today something is wrong that yesterday was not wrong simply because you're frustrated today or you're tired or you're upset, or if tomorrow something is okay that today was wrong simply because tomorrow you're having a good day and today you weren't, you're going to frustrate your children's ability to obey you. You're going to provoke your child to wrath. Your discipline should be clear, parents. You should have clearly articulated lines which, when crossed, have clearly articulated consequences. Your children should not have to live life trying to shoot a moving target of your feelings and impressions when it comes to discipline. One of those times where a boss gets up and he says, first rule, do what I tell you. Second rule, you figure everything else out as you go. That's a vulnerable place to be in, right? Because you don't know your expectations. Your children should know what is wrong, where the line is, and what will happen if they cross that line. Because when your children have boundaries, then they know how they can please you. And when they step over their boundaries, they have no one to blame but themselves. If your child can walk away from an, a, a, a session of discipline blaming you, now, some children will blame you just because they're grumpy at being disciplined, right? But if your children can walk away from a, a, a session of discipline validly upset at you because I did that yesterday and it was okay, but today I did it and it was wrong. It's a problem with your discipline. Your child will never need to be frustrated by violating ambiguous offenses if you are clear in your expectations violating offenses they didn't even know were offenses because today you're upset. Things that come and go based upon your feelings. Don't, don't allow yourself to be that way as a parent. Tell them what to expect. Tell them what the consequences are if they cross those lines so that when they cross those lines, you look at them and you say, look, you chose this because you knew the expectations. Therefore, it is the child's fault entirely. Isn't that what God does to us? He says, here's the line, don't cross it. When we cross it, we can't say, God, you never told me. Because he did. He made it clear. Be that with your children. Clearly give them lines. Give them their boundaries so that they can have the freedom to operate within them without fear. And then when they step over them, they have no one to blame but themselves. And that brings us to consistency. Is there anything more frustrating than selective enforcement among authorities? The person that was driving 12, over, 12 miles over the speed limit gets a warning. This person driving 12 miles over the speed limit gets a ticket. What's the difference? Probably the police officer that stopped them or how the police officer was feeling that day, right? He's had a bad day, everyone gets a ticket. 
If he's had a good day, nobody gets a ticket. That's really frustrating, isn't it? If you... If you're a nurse or an EMT or a soldier and you badge the police officer, you're not going to get a ticket. But if you're just a you're standard civilian, you're going to get a ticket. It's selective enforcement. It's lack of consistency, and it's an extremely frustrating thing. Parents, if you want to frustrate your children, be inconsistent in your discipline. I have a bad attitude today, and I get and and so. Uh, my children are disciplined today. I have a good attitude tomorrow, so my children aren't disciplined for the same offense. My child lies today, he gets spanked for it. My child lies tomorrow, and I ignore it. Now, often children love an inconsistent parent in this sense that they can play the odds, right? They can say, well, the odds of me getting in trouble for this are 50-50, 60-40. We'll give it a shot because mom and dad will probably forget, or mom and dad are having a good day, so I think I can get away with more today. Today would be a good day to ask them if I can do this, or, or, or to just go and do that. Today is a day where it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Maybe not tomorrow, but today. But this same inconsistency works unto their frustration when, when they're put on the other end of it. When they did something yesterday that wasn't punished, that wasn't chastened, but then tomorrow they're doing something that is. Once again, parents, you're, you're asking your children to shoot at a moving target. They're never able to know what will set you off, when something is okay, maybe it was okay yesterday, but not today. And if you want to encourage your children, not provoke them onto wrath, make it easier on yourself and make discipline not just, more e not just easier, but also more effective, be clear with what is right and wrong, have clearly defined lines, and be consistent in your enforcement. If your child knew that you were only ever going to tell them to do something one time, and then the second time, every time, there would be consequences, they would learn how to do it the first time. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. You give it a couple of weeks of you consistently disciplining first-time offenses, I tell you to do something, I come back in 10 minutes. If you haven't moved well, I forgot. I gave you the line, you crossed the line, you discipline them. I guarantee you their memories will kick in. They will learn. And you will be doing them such a favor. Now, we know that it isn't always this simple, right? It isn't as easy to discipline consistently when you're out and about and you're at church, right? Kids are wiggling right now. You say sit still and they're still wiggling. Well, that. It's not always clear-cut, right? But as a whole, the more consistent you can be, the better it will be on everyone. And in this scenario, your child will become far less frustrated at discipline because you've made your expectations clear, you've warned them about the consequences, they chose to break the rule, they did so with full understanding of what would happen, and they got what you said they'd get. The only person they can be angry at is themselves. But if you parent without clarity and consistency, you'll work in them frustration. They will have cause to be angry with you for punishing them more today than yesterday for the same offense. They will have cause to be upset at you for punishing them more than a sibling for the same offense. Lack of clarity and consistency in enforcement breeds frustration and, sort, 
Not only that, but it short circuits the effect of discipline. Discipline is intended to guide them into something, and if they're so busy worried about whether or not they got more or less than yesterday, they're not focusing on what they did wrong. Then discipline with calmness. This is, this is the, 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 the important point as it refers to manner and the difference between discipline and abuse. Two concepts here are disciplining with calmness. First, discipline free from your emotions. Second, be objective in your discipline. Clarity and consistency and discipline demand that, you dis that your discipline function in exclusion to your personal feelings at the moment of discipline. When you are in a great mood, your discipline is, a sta is the same as when you're in a bad mood. Your children should not be able to gauge the severity of your discipline based upon how you are feeling that day. Your children should not be able to relax and assume that rules will become less strict because you're having a good day. We've mentioned this in, in several contexts already. Your discipline should not be tied to your emotions or your feelings. But even more so, parents, you're, you, you've perhaps heard this before, don't discipline in anger. I heard this all growing up, don't discipline in anger. But you know, I never had a pastor teach me what that meant. I never actually understood what that meant. And I don't think most parents do either. What it means not to discipline in anger. It's not just that you're not angry when you go into the discipline because that might make you hit harder or, or hit longer. But it's, it's that you're not disciplining just when you're pushed over the edge. Your discipline should not be kind of a cup-filling type thing. Offense, 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 offense. Oh, I've overflowed. Now it's time to discipline. Once again, it's ambiguous. But parents also, if, if discipline to you is you being angry and feeling better by, by hitting your child, then you just need to stop. Discipline is not for you to get out your anger. Discipline is not a means by which for you to release your frustration on your child. That is not what discipline is. If you are so angry at a certain moment that you cannot separate your actions from your emotions, then you need to withhold discipline until you can control yourself. So those two concepts of not disciplining and anger. First, that which is most thought of, don't take your anger out on your child through spanking. That's not discipline. That is abuse. That is beating your child, not disciplining your child. A spanking ought to be a form of discipline guided by restraint, clear objectives that are meant to foster a repentant heart, not to hurt a child. That's not the point of discipline. You're not, you're not doing it to hurt them. You're doing it to chasten them, to form repentance, to keep them from doing it again. We do not beat or abuse our children. We lovingly and objectively discipline our children in a manner that is biblically prescribed. The second concept, though, which... which is not as frequently thought of or considered is simply that consistency element. Don't allow your emotions to drive the, the, whether or not you discipline and the severity of it. Don't discipline in anger. Final point. Thank you for, for uh, 
sticking with me today. I know it's been a little bit longer. Discipline with an objective. Remember why you're disciplining parents. It's not to make you feel better. It's, a, it's not just a short-term solution to behavior modification. Child discipline is intended to be the template that will form your child into a usable vessel for God. No one can be usable unto God until he is first ready to humble himself. Didn't we read it this morning in James? James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The most effective and useful men and women are those who are willing to do what God has told them to do. The most obedient will be the most effective. And what forms obedience in the heart of a man? Discipline. Parents never lose this objective. Your purpose in disciplining your child is not to make them act better when, you're at church, when they're at church. It's not to make them act good when they're at the grocery store. It's not so that you can go to the grocery store and have all of the moms saying, oh, how do you do it? That's not the point. So some nice side effects, but that's not the point. The point is that they are learning how to submit their heart and their will to their authorities to you, then to their boss, and to the government, and then eventually, hopefully before the boss and government, to God, who is their authority. And if you discipline with clarity and consistency and calmness, you will not only position your children to understand obedience to God, but you will be teaching them of God's character, because that's who he is, and giving them a true understanding of how God will discipline them. So many people understand that this is how God disciplines. Because we impose our understanding of how our parents disciplined us on God, right? So as you discipline parents, have these clear objectives in mind. With each established rule, with each established consequence, ensure that the offense and its consequence meet the objectives that you have for them. Be sure that the discipline will, when properly received, accomplish its objective. And in doing so, you will do as Proverbs chapter 23, verse 14 says, you will indeed deliver his soul from hell. Proper discipline. Parents, we need to think about this. It needs to be a determination. This, don't just let discipline be a tacked on part of your parenting. Make it a, a purposeful, directed element of your training of your children, not just for their sake in society, but for their sake before God. Let's close in prayer.